0: Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Catch UFC 277 at Walters this Saturday night as Juliana Pena takes on Amanda Nunes in Dallas. The fight card begins at 9.
1: Register at waltersdc.com to receive one free spicy margarita. We're driven by the search for
2: better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: The pitch swung on. Line drive to right field. That's going to be a base hit. A single to right for Dalton Varsho Scores Alec Thomas from third. And with two out here in the bottom of the first inning. Runners on the corners again for the D-backs. It's Arizona two and Washington nothing. Kennedy's 2-1 with Hernandez running. is blasted down the right field line toward the corner. Will it stay fair? Yes, it will. And it bounces off at the fence and stays in play. So Hernandez is going to score on an RBI double for Josh Bell, and it's the Nationals' three and the Diamondbacks' three. Now the pitch, swing and a line drive to right. Going to be a base hit. In from third to score is Lane Thomas. And the Nationals have the lead here in the top of
0: the eighth inning. It's Washington four and Arizona three. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, July 25th, 2022, along with MassInsports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Chase Field in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. For just the third time since a three-game Nats winning streak, June 26th through the 28th, we have a Nats win. Discuss. It is not often these days that we have a Nats victory to chew on on the Nats Chat podcast, but such is the case for this installment of the Nats Chat podcast, and so we shall savor this. We shall enjoy this. Who knows, we might even put on red clown noses over the course of taping this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. A 4-3 win at the Arizona Diamondbacks on Sunday to prevent a three-game sweep. The Nats improved to a major league worst 32-65 and on the season. This was just the Nats' third win over the team's last 20 games. So, Mark, if nothing else, we know that the Nats will not exit the month of July having only registered two wins in a month. At the very least, the Nats will have three wins in this month of July
1: 2022. You know, I want to come back to you with saying that was a clown question, bro, somewhere in there. I'm
4: not answering. Yeah, that. That's, that's a clown question, bro.
1: This was not the cleanest game ever played. It's probably actually one of the worst fundamentally played games the Nationals have had during this brutal stretch. And yet they did enough stuff right at the end. And they came from behind, which is not something we've seen them do very much this year. So, I give them credit for that. They got some clutch hits. They got some great relief work, especially from Kyle Finnegan. And they walked out of here with a win. I mean, I don't think it changes a lot in the big picture. This team is still the same that they were 24 hours ago, which is not very good. But for one day, they were able to smile and celebrate and enjoy a come-from-behind win. So, good for them for pulling this one off.
0: Well, when the history books are written about the Nats 2022 season, and I know that you have begun work on a book about the Nats 2022 season and chronicling each game and, you know, the twists and turns in these various games for the Nats this year, this will go down as, I don't know what, the Clown Series, the Red Nose Series. I don't know. We're going to have to come up with a name for this series. But it turns out that we were not finished with the Victor Robles-Madison-Bumgarner situation on Sunday. So just to catch everyone up in case you are unaware, Victor Robles in the Nats 7-2 loss at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night went two for three and among his two hits was a solo home run off Madison Bumgarner. Uh, Robles in the Nats one run eighth had a one out solo homer to left field off Bumgarner to cut the Nats deficit to 7-2. And Madison Bumgarner after the game told reporters that Victor Robles had acted like, quote, a clown end quote, in the way that Robles admired his home run, even though there still really isn't footage of Victor Robles doing much of anything as he was celebrating the home run. He celebrated it, but geez, it really wasn't that big of a deal. This pretty clearly was Madison Bumgarner acting, you know, like a get off my lawn old man. And we know that Bumgarner can be like that. So anyway, fast forward to Sunday and Victor Robles, who had another hit on Sunday, although he had another adventure on the base paths, wore a clown nose in the dugout. And I have to tell you, when I first saw this on Twitter, I thought that this was a meme or a meme, as Bryce Harper would say.
4: I don't even want to answer that right now because I know how many memes are going to be out there and me with a bald head.
0: I didn't think this was real. I thought that someone had doctored a photo of Victor Robles wearing a red clown nose. Ha 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 ha. No, this was real. Robles actually did this and Davey Martinez wasn't happy about this. So who saw this coming? But we now have a clown controversy with the Nats this season
1: been a good decade since we had a good clown controversy with this team, Al. So I guess it was time for one again. Yeah, I couldn't tell at first, was it only pregame? Was it actually into the first inning? I'm not entirely clear on that. It didn't stay on for long. After that, I thought Victor Robles, after the game, we talked about what he said, I thought he handled it all very well after the game on Saturday. I don't think he necessarily handled it well on sunday probably just let that one go and don't poke the bear as it was especially when you're playing for a team that is as bad as this one is i know the dimebacks aren't good themselves but what exactly are you bragging about at that point and then especially if you're going to do all that don't make a bad throw in center field don't get caught stealing trying to steal third in a critical situation so Not the best way to handle the situation, I think. And Davey afterwards said he didn't like it. He said, that's not who we are. And he said, he'll have a talk with Victor about it. So I don't expect any more carryover beyond this. But after initially handling the whole thing well, I thought Victor came out looking better than Bumgarner on Saturday night. I think come Sunday, Victor would have been better off just letting that speak for itself and not doing anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll say what I said on the last installment of the podcast on the list of problems for the Nats, on the list of issues facing the Nats. This really is buried way down the list, but I'm with you. And I think especially if you are Victor Robles and you are in the state that he is in in his career and you have struggled as he has struggled over these last few years and then you see what happened with him on Sunday – you're probably better off not wearing a clown nose because the very easy comeback is, well, you know, you are a clown. You play like a clown. That sort of a thing. You know, I, I do wonder, like, if Juan Soto did this, would Davey Martinez care? If Josh Bell did this, would Davey Martinez care? But I think with Robles, it is a little different. So in terms of his adventures on the base paths, top of the third on Sunday, Robles, a leadoff first pitch, opposite field single to the right center field gap, but he later in the inning gets caught on an attempted steal of third base for the second out.
3: Pitch with the runners going he is outside. Herrera comes up throwing. They tag by Rojas, who goes tumbling. They call him out. Robles slid into the tag. Robles knocked Rojas over.
0: Now, this actually marked the first time this season that Robles was thrown out on an attempted steal. He actually had been perfect coming into the game 11 for 11, and it's not like he was thrown out by a mile, but. He was thrown out. He was thrown out in a key spot, obviously in a key location on the base paths in attempted at steal of third base. This was one of many faux pas in this game from both teams, but that obviously was a bad moment for Victor Robles.
1: Yeah, so it was. Now, I will say that Davey Martinez was not critical of that. He said, the situation we're in, we need to push the envelope. We need to take some chances more. It was a really close play. Could have gone either way. He also point out how many double plays they hit into, so that was as a double steal, was the front end of a double steal. The idea being, if he hits a ground ball, then you can avoid you know, hitting into another double play that ends the inning. So he was okay with the strategy behind that and the thought process behind that, but it's still a bad look, especially when in that inning alone, you have four out of six batters reaching base, and they don't score a run, and two of the outs in that inning were on a caught stealing and a sacrifice bunt, so you just gave away two of the three outs. You can't afford to do that when you're struggling to score runs the way this team is, and that was sort of a microcosm of what this game was for about six innings until they finally got their act together late.
0: Yeah, they did, and the Nats uh, rallied to win this game, overcame a 3-1 six-inning deficit, scored a run in the sixth, a run in the seventh, and a run in in the eighth inning. And you actually had some big hits, question mark, clutch hits in this game by the Nats. I mean, you had Lane Thomas with a pinch leadoff double in this game. That was nice to see. Uh, Lane coming up to begin what ended up being a Nats one-run eighth inning, a pinch leadoff double to the left center field gap. So it was nice to see that. You had Josh Bell with a big two-out RBI double. In a Nats one run seventh, Josh Bell, a two out ribby double to the right field corner to tie the game at three as like for once a questionable call slash play went in favor of the Nats. The double was initially ruled an automatic double due to the ball going out of play, but the Nats successfully challenged the play. The ball was never actually out of play. And so the run scored. So you have that. A-Ray Adrianza, who didn't necessarily have the greatest game. I'll mention the, uh, the boo-boo for him in a moment here. But Nats one run fourth. Adrianza, one out RBI single to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And then k Ruiz. And look, for him, it wasn't a perfect game in this game. But k Ruiz ends up going three for three with a walk. He gets on base four times, including having one of the bigger hits in the game. Kate ruiz coming through in that Nats one-run eighth, a one-out opposite field RBI single to right field on a one-two pitch for a four-three Nats lead. So as Davey likes to say, the boys battled and the boys actually had some clutch hits in this game.
1: Yeah, I'm more interested in the clutch hits. The boys delivered. <laughs> They've battled a lot. They don't always deliver. This time they actually did deliver. I loved the Cabert Ruiz at bat there. First of all, the Lane Thomas hustle double to get the rally started. Very good. Then a smart sacrifice bunt by Luis Garcia against a tough lefty. The odds of him getting that runner over swinging away, maybe not as good. But in a tie game in the eighth inning, lefty on lefty, get the bunt down. He placed it perfectly. And now you're giving Ruiz the chance to drive him in. And Ruiz did that by just staying on the ball, doing what he's good at, contact and poking it the other way for the RBI and the go-ahead single. So I liked all of that. As for the, uh, the automatic double and the overturning of the call, I don't know what you guys saw on TV. For us, it took a bunch of replays before we finally saw what actually happened with the ball. It looked like it disappeared for a while. We couldn't figure out what it was. And I kept thinking to myself, they're not going to overturn this. There's nothing conclusive here. And then finally, they had an angle that showed the ball ricocheting off the wall and over this little corner right by the foul pole that had it gone over that fence and touched anything over there it would be out of play and therefore an automatic double and instead it just perfectly covered the distance to get over that corner and land back in the field of play.
3: Yeah that ball totally that ball stayed never, in that play. That ball did not go out of play. It hit it bounced hit the side angled wall it bounced over the the
1: fence in foul ground but never went out of play. That should be in play with a run scoring. Credit to Davy Martinez credit to their video crew for getting that call and getting it challenged and getting it right and for once how many times have we seen these kind of things go against them they finally got one to go their way rightly so and it proved to be really important in the game
0: yeah the nats actually were out hit in this game 10-9 but end up winning the game 4-3 in no small part because the nats drew eight walks in this game that is a jaw dropping total of walks in a game especially given that the Nats had done so little offensively over the first two games of this series. But the Nats were on base a ton in this game. Juan Soto went 0-2, for but he drew three walks. Josh Bell, in addition to his RBI double, had a couple of walks. I mean, it was a weird game. The Nats had eight walks. The Nats were charged with three errors. The Nats did hit a lot of doubles in the game. So that was kind of peculiar. The Nats had, what, uh, four doubles in this game. So strange game, but it does end up resulting in a Nationals win. So Was nice to see that. Was the clubhouse, I mean, look, I know people weren't spraying champagne, but like, was there any bit of a different vibe here? I mean, again, this was just the team's third win in 20 games. It had to feel good to get a win for
1: once for this team. Yeah, it was hopping a little bit more than it normally would. And it's always on a getaway day. I mean, you can say, oh, what's the big deal? But it does actually seem to mean more for them when they're packing up to get ready to leave town and get on a flight. It does make it a lot more enjoyable. They know they didn't play a great game, of course, but they also know that at this point, they can't take any win they get for granted. They're going to savor them and enjoy them. And like I said, they did do some very good things when the game was on the line late. And so I think they were trying to focus on that more than the mistakes they made. So yeah, it was a good vibe. They earned it. They deserved the right to, to be able to celebrate a little bit. And there were not, we were curious, would we walk in there and everybody in the clubhouse would be wearing clown noses? And they were not. No more clown noses in the clubhouse. They just celebrated the old fashioned way
4: Join your fellow D.C. baseball fans this Thursday, July 28th at Kelly's Irish Times for Stand Up Strike Out, a comedy show that's all about baseball. This free show will feature baseball-themed stand-up, a first pitch from a an Nats superfan, and a lineup of comedians crazier than the 86 Mets. Let loose and laugh at this comedy show designed specifically for baseball fans like you. Reserve your free seat right now at standupstrikeout.eventbrite.com. That's standupstrikeout.eventbrite.com.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: So the infield in for A-Ray Adrianza. Batting right-handed the pitch. Bluffs a bunt. Throw to third. They've got him hung up. Rojas pump fakes and will tag him out. And the Nationals run themselves out of a threat as Adrianza misses the bunt try. And Ruiz, it was not a suicide squeeze, got caught too far off third. And that is the second out of the inning.
0: Well, with k belt Ruiz on Sunday, he had a good game. Like we said, three for three with a walk. He had a double, an RBI single, an infield single in addition to the walk. Uh, the infield single was certainly interesting. So in the Nats' one-run six, Ruiz had a one-out infield single on a grounder to the Diamondbacks' third baseman, Josh Rojas, who made a nice diving catch but then committed a throwing error. Yadiel Hernandez scored on the play to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2. Ruiz ended up advancing all the way to third base. But then moments later, like, I don't know, it felt like 30 seconds later, Caber Ruiz got tagged out in a rundown between third base and home plate on, I guess, what was a failed safety squeeze attempt. A-Ray Adrianza was batting. And Caber Ruiz, I mean, this was a bad out to make on the base pads. Again, like seconds after he had just advanced to third, he gets tagged out between third and home.
1: Yeah, and he knew that he botched that one. Now, yes, you would like for Adrianza to get the bunt down, but he actually pulled it back. The pitch was low at the knees. Adrianza pulls the bunt back. And Ruiz, let's acknowledge here, as a catcher, a young catcher, probably hasn't found himself that often leading off third base and getting the safety squeeze sign. So he may not have a lot of practice at this. But in that situation, it's not a suicide squeeze. You're not running on the pitch. It's a safety squeeze. Your first job as the runner make sure he actually bunts the ball before you go anywhere and unfortunately he anticipated that the ball was going to be bunted and when it wasn't he was stuck in no man's land and that was a bad look he admitted it said it's a you know something for him to learn it's a lesson for him hopefully doesn't happen again but yeah boy talk about like sucking the air out of the balloon after what looked like hey they they just scored a big run they might tie the game now with the uh tying run on third base After that crazy, you know, three base ground ball to third and to just give it away that easily was not a good moment. Had they lost the game, that may be one, maybe the moment that we point to more than anything else.
0: It's interesting with Ruiz. I mean, with all of the trade talk right now with the Nats, with the Juan Soto situation, and obviously other guys, too, with the trade deadline coming up, if, if, you know, you say, well, who on the Nats is truly not on the table for trade talks. And Bear Ruiz would be one of those guys. And I came across this the other day, Joel Sherman, uh, who covers Major League Baseball for the New York Post. He's on MLB Network a lot. According to him, the perception of many executives last summer was that Mike Rizzo actually fixated on Kbert Ruiz and that other executives kind of felt like they were maybe not ignored, but that when Rizzo was shopping Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, Rizzo really wanted to do a deal with the Dodgers because Rizzo really liked Kbert Ruiz that much. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. You don't know if it's bitterness from other executives saying that, but I think that stands out that Ruiz isn't just a promising player, but he's someone who the general manager very much liked before trading for the guy, very much targeted in approaching last year's trade deadline I think that says a lot about how Rizzo and probably a lot of people in the Nats organization feel about Cabot Ruiz.
1: Yeah, I think it also shows where as an organization they were in the catching department at the time last year, they had nothing coming up through the pipeline, unless you want to count Trace Barrera. So I wasn't surprised that that was a position they specifically targeted, and he went and found a young catcher that he thought was worth going after. Yes, he was viewed that way. He's still viewed that way as a key part of of them moving forward. And, while it's been, you know, some ups and downs for him this year. Let's remember how young and inexperienced he is. And I think in the bigger picture, I think you have to be pleased with what we've seen from K. Ruiz. You're hoping now that as he develops, kind of like Wilson Ramos did back in the day, that the offense is going to start to come, the power is going to come a little bit more, the mistakes will be fewer and far between. But I just keep coming back to a young catcher being asked to do so much. You're working with the pitching staff and learning all of them and what to do and how to call a game. And you got to get your offensive game together from both sides of the plate. He's a switch hitter. That's a lot to ask of anyone, particularly a young catcher in that spot. So I think he's handled it all well. And then I also think what you just described is helpful as we look ahead here. If Mike Rizzo is targeting specific players potentially to get in a Juan Soto trade, I've got to believe first and foremost that a shortstop would be on the list of prime targets. I'd say shortstop and center field are the two, probably shortstop more than anything else. So if a deal were to happen, my hunch is that it would include a highly touted shortstop.
0: See, that's interesting because I always just kind of felt like a GM approaches something like this as just give me your best guys and I'll worry about the positions later. Notable that maybe Rizzo is someone who actually targets specific positions and Trades for need as opposed to trading for just the best guys he can get. And maybe those two things can coincide, you know, like the best guys end up being guys who fill positions of need. But that's interesting that Rizzo maybe does, in fact, approach uh, the trade deadline that way. So the Nats bullpen on Sunday was interesting. Four Nats relievers ultimately combined for four and a third shutout innings, but uh, things were not quite that simple. You had Jordan Weems facing five batters, recording three outs. Uh, one of the batters who reached base uh, did do so via a miscatch error by Josh Bell. You had Carl Edwards Jr. tossing one in a third scoreless innings, despite in the bottom of the seventh giving up a one-out single and issuing a two-out walk. You then had the adventures of Steve Ciszek, who tried to challenge Andres Machado from Saturday night for the single worst outing by Nats reliever this weekend. Ciszek in the bottom of the eighth on Sunday was a mess. He faced four batters, recorded just one out. He began the bottom of the eighth by giving up back to back singles, then issuing another hit by pitch. How many hit by pitches is Steve Cshek planning on issuing this season? I'd love to know the answer to that question. But all of this was a setup to Kyle Finnegan pulling off maybe the single most impressive escape act of the season.
3: Finnegan sets. He
0: kicks and delivers, swinging a ground ball toward short. Garcia charges and has it, shovels to
3: second. One, relay to first. Double play. He throws one pitch.
0: And look, some of this is luck, I'll grant you that, but Kyle Finnegan ultimately in this game faced four batters and recorded the final five outs of the game. He comes into the game, bottom of the eighth, bases loaded, one out, and that's leading 4-3. Finnegan, with just one pitch, puts out the fire. He induces a one-out first pitch, inning-ending, 6-4-3 double play, off the bat of Kristen Walker, and then Finnegan tosses a perfect bottom of the ninth, just like you drew it up. I mean, what a job by Kyle Finnegan to get out of that base's low-dead one-out jam in the bottom of the eighth?
1: That was a big-time save. That was an onions save, if Bill Raftery was calling it. Real quick on C-Sheck, I do know the number nine hit batters this year in only 41 and a third innings. The only pitchers ahead of him in the majors are all starters with a ton more innings than C-Sheck has. I don't know why this is. Maybe the throwing motion lends itself to the occasional one that slips away from him, but boy, it's a lot, and He's been good at times. When he's off, he's really off. And this was one of those days when he was off. Now, to his credit, he loads the base with nobody out. Davey leaves him in to face Cattell Marte, their number three hitter. He said he liked that matchup better, that the arm angle from Ciszek against Marte thought that was good. He gets a pop-up. So that is an important out because the inning could have already fallen apart before it ever got to Finnegan. Then he goes to Finnegan for the five-out save to face their cleanup hitter, Christian Walker. And it's funny, you come into that, And your mindset is, I got to get a ground ball. I got to get a ground ball. And you can get into trouble thinking too much about that and not just trying to execute a good pitch. So to Finnegan's credit, one pitch, bam, gets exactly what he needs. And then, and I I think this is a little underrated part of it. You have this emotional high. We just escaped a bases loaded no out jam to protect a one run lead. You go back to the dugout. Well, hang on a second. I got to come back and still get the final three outs of the game. And to his credit, he came back and did that with no drama in the ninth inning. This was his first save opportunity since Tanner Rainey landed on the I.L. It's been like two weeks since that happened. There hasn't been a save opportunity the way this season has gone. So we've talked about this year when Finnegan is good. He's really good. He has shown an ability to get big outs against tough hitters. Whether he's still here in a week or so, I don't know. I think there could be teams interested in him. But if he is still here, I think the Nats know that they're going to find out a lot about him the rest of the season, how he handles those high leverage spots.
0: Well, he certainly showcased himself on Sunday. So really nice job by Kyle Finnegan. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Beat the heat with Window Nation, which right now is offering a very special deal. Save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy, plus make no payments and pay no interest until 2024, plus you can receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows. Save yourself thousands of dollars on your new windows and on your energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. Here's all that you need to do go to windownation.com or call 866 90 Nation and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Your windows matter. Lean on the experts of Window Nation and get yourself the special deal. Again, save $200 off any style of window from Window Nation with every two windows that you buy, plus make no payments and pay no interest until 2024 and receive a free entry door with the purchase of a house of windows, visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell windownation that Al Galdi sent That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION and tell windownation that Al sent
4: Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small town charm and big league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July.
1: You know what, Fetty battled again. You know, he, you know he, he gave us what he can and the um, and, uh, pitch count. You know, Fetty, once again, got up there. Um, but our bullpen came in and did a great job.
0: Eric Fetty was the Nats' starting pitcher on Sunday. He pitched in a game for the first time in 11 days. Yeah, because of the all-star break, because of the way the Nats have set things up, you have two Nats pitchers in particular who have not pitched in a very long time, Josiah Gray and Eric Fetty, at least, coming into Sunday. Eric Fetty's last (laughs) start—this feels like forever ago now— had been on July 13th, a 2-1 loss to Seattle at Nationals Park in game two of a doubleheader. I mean, that just feels like so long ago. Fetty in that game, two runs in five and a third innings. This was the game after which Davey Martinez revealed uh, that Fetty had uh, vomited uh, prior to the top of the sixth inning, during which his outing ended up unraveling. Well, as far as we know, Fetty did not throw up, at least uh, not literally on Sunday, but uh, figuratively, the pitching uh, perhaps mirrored that. So pitching for the first time in 11 days, Fetty was not good. Three runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, two doubles, and five singles. But the big thing was his control. He issued four walks into wild pitch. He had three strikeouts. He, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 99 pitches, 58 strikes versus 41 balls. You know, it's funny when a pitcher doesn't pitch for a while, sometimes it works to his benefit. We saw that with Josiah Gray a few weeks ago. I don't know if this is why Fetty struggled on Sunday, but man, he did not look like someone who was well-rested and was on point on Sunday. He looked like one of the poor versions of himself. We've seen this before, him struggle, and he obviously did struggle on Sunday.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the good news is there were no stomach issues, no vomiting issues, but there was some rust, <laughs> and he admitted that, that he did feel rusty out there, especially in the first inning, which was a struggle for him just to get out of that with only two runs coming across. So, not his best, of course. We know the pitch count going up. That's you know, typical Eric Fetty. But at the end of the day, he somehow got out of that with only three runs across the plate. He gave his team a chance. He got a big double play uh, to get out of the third inning of what was a jam, He limited the damage. He was in trouble all day and he managed to limit the damage before handing it over to the bullpen. So I don't know. You hope five days from now it's better for him. And you also hope that Josiah Gray, when he does finally pitch Tuesday night at Dodger Stadium, won't have that same rust that maybe the time off will have been good for him. That was a calculated move on the Nationals part to space him out and maybe save some innings for him that he can use later on this year.
0: Fetty now this season, 19 starts, ERA of 495. I mean, again, off the encouraging beginning to his season, this is exactly what happened last season, the season coming apart and his ERA, which was in the threes not that long ago, is now basically back up to five. He's also walking guys at a crazy rate, 4.56 walks per nine innings. Look, he's never been known for being Greg Maddox in terms of control, but the walks in particular this season have been an issue for Eric Fetty. We saw that. And I don't know if this is coincidence or not, but you may remember arguably Fetty's worst outing of the season was a game against Arizona. All the way back on April 20th, Fetty, an 11-2 loss to the Diamondbacks at Nashville's Park, seven runs, six earned three in three and a third inning. So the Diamondbacks, for whatever reason, have not been good to Eric Fetty so far this season. But the Nats uh, were good enough on Sunday to get a win and just in time for a series at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers. We don't know when the next time will be that we talk about a Nats win because you have these uh, upcoming three games at the Dodgers, and then you have a three game series at home against the St. Louis Cardinals, and then you have a three game series at home against the New York Mets. Uh, you have a lot of good teams coming up. And then after that Mets series, by the way, you have a four game series at the Philadelphia Phillies. So I don't know what's going to happen, but this will be an interesting series at the Dodgers for sure perhaps principally because of the man we just talked about, Josiah Gray, for like the first time in forever, is going to be pitching. He'll be pitching on Tuesday night, and the last time he faced his former team, the Dodgers, things did not go so well. So hopefully we see a better Gray against his ex-team this go-around.
1: Yeah, I imagine for him and for Caber Ruiz, it's going to be a little extra emotion playing at Dodger Stadium. They both actually played for the Dodgers briefly last year before the trade. You hope that Josiah learned some lessons from that last down against them which was not good at all but I mean you're facing a fearsome lineup in a ballpark that's funny it used to be the best pitchers park in the majors and now it's a home run haven with less foul territory and just a really good Dodger lineup of course there and then you know before we ever get to Tuesday uh, I'm anticipating the moment the clubhouse opens on Monday afternoon there's going to be LA media wanting to talk to Juan Soto and I'm interested what He's asked how he handles it. I'm also very interested in what the fan reaction at Dodger Stadium is to Juan Soto. I would imagine there's going to be a lot of cheering for him and encouragement from a fan base that probably thinks that they're in the running to acquire his services here within the next week or so. That could make for a very interesting situation. Juan's handled everything well to this point. I give him credit. It cannot be easy what he's going through. And I think it's only going to get crazier here now as we go back to L.A. since he was just there for the All-Star game.
0: And that's what's so funny, right? It was last Monday night, Juan Soto was in L.A. winning the home run derby. It is this coming Monday night that Juan Soto will be playing a game in L.A. Uh, I don't think his flight to L.A. this week will be the topic of conversation that the flight to L.A. was last week. You wonder what Trey Turner are saying to Andrew Friedman et al. in that Dodgers front office about potentially trading for Juan Soto. But, you know, with the Dodgers, it's not just that they have a lot of money and thus could afford to trade for someone like Soto the Dodgers also have the prospect inventory. Six of the top 75 prospects on MLB Pipeline's ranking of the top 100 prospects in baseball are Dodgers prospects. Let me repeat that. Six of the top 75 are Dodgers prospects. So don't ever let it be said that, well, we're good. We don't pick high enough. We can't have a good farm system. No, the Dodgers figured out But man, the Dodgers are loaded. So if you're looking for some gargantuan hall of prospects for Soto, and that's obviously what the Nats should be looking for, the Dodgers could potentially meet that demand. So that, for among many reasons, is why people are connecting Soto to the Dodgers.
1: And let's be honest, there's only a handful of teams that are really in the running that have both the ability to contend this year and the prospect hall. And for anybody who says the Dodgers only win because they spend the most money, no, they win because they spend money and they are one of the best at drafting and developing.
0: You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the natschat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's natschatpodcast Chat Podcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself or someone you know a Nat's Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site dot square dot site. That's natschatpodcast.square dot square. That side. By the way, the secret weapon, Paolo Espino, will be starting Game 1 at the Dodgers. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And uh, if you're really feeling generous, uh, please take the time or consider doing so uh, to write a review of the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. It can just be like a one or 2 cents review saying that you like the podcast. Uh, The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot, and we very much appreciate you guys for doing them. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with the latest look back at the month that changed everything, July 2021. And today we are looking back at a game that I think really started to make people think that indeed the end was coming in terms of the Nats needing to blow up their roster. Uh, This was in the midst of a five-game losing streak. This was loss number three in that losing streak. This was a second consecutive loss for the Nats at the Orioles in what ended up being a three-game sweep. And that series really is what changed everything. We leave you now with this look back, a game in which you had all kinds of things going on for the Nats and not in a good way. We thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time
3: ninth pitch of the at bat here it comes swinging a line drive right at the first baseman Mancini on one hop he'll jog to the bag for the unassisted out and Matt Harvey has retired eight in a row and allowed just one hit over six shutout innings swinging a line drive right field this is trouble it's going to be down one hop off the fence at the 318 mark Mullins will score easily Hayes is jogging into second with an RBI double Orioles three Nationals nothing in the sixth inning Here's Franco. Another right-handed batter. The pitch. Cracked in the air to right center field. Chasing Soto. He will make the catch, then go into a dive. Mancini tags it third. He'll score. The other runners hold. Sacrifice fly for Michael Franco. Baltimore five. The Nationals nothing.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, July 25th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of massandsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It was this past Tuesday that Mike Rizzo said that he's taking a dual path approach to the July 30th MLB trade deadline. That's could be buyers, could be sellers. Since that Tuesday conversation with the general manager and president of baseball operations, the Nationals are one in three. The three losses have come against the lowly Miami Marlins and Baltimore Orioles. Steven Strasburg has suffered a second setback. Max Scherzer has been scratched from his latest start, and the Nationals' offense has struggled to score runs off two of the worst starting pitchers in the American League this season in Jorge Lopez and Matt Harvey. I don't know if the dual path approach still exists, but right now, one path is a rocky road filled with potholes. Another path is a smooth sailing highway, and that smooth sailing highway right now is leading directly to Sellville come trade deadline day But the Nationals, they lose again at the Orioles. They now have lost this series stunningly, although i have been following this Nats team, maybe not so stunningly, 5-3 the final on Saturday night. Mark, things are not trending in a positive direction.
1: They are not, Al. And I think as we've been saying uh, for a few days now that we felt like the only chance they were going to sell is if the team cratered over this next week. Well, I don't know if they've completely cratered, but I can see the comet falling from the sky. And... It's getting close to impact, and it's going to create a very large crater if it does hit ground, unless somehow it burns up in the atmosphere. And the only way that's going to happen is if they win, certainly on Sunday, and at least three out of four, maybe two out of four. It's not good. This is exactly what they didn't need to happen. And, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of this as well, but we we talked about how tough the schedule was against the NL West, and then we said, all right, the schedule's about to ease up against the Marlins and the Orioles. Here's your chance. Well, they won two against the Marlins. They haven't won since. And so much for that playing a factor in all this. They are teetering on the brink right now. Seven games under 500, five games to go until the trade deadline.